much love. I'll get over you. I know I will. I'll pretend my ship's not sinking. And I'll tell myself I'm over you. Because I'm the king of wishful thinking. It's episode 20, season 5 of Ravage Love. Hi, Julie. Bonjour, Renee. How are you? So good. So good. Is it hot as balls there? It is so hot here in Ottawa. Mm. So hot. Uh, Climate change. I don't know if you've heard. It's for real. Oh, not really for fake. Real? It's for real, for real. Oh, wow. It's okay. Like a problem. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Ravage Love breaking news. Climate change is for real, for real. <laughs> um, listeners, we didn't tell you what our theme was for this week because we wanted to surprise you because we're doing something different. Doing something different. Yeah, Keep I don't even fresh. know how to describe what we did this week, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, um, folksy in any way no no so what happened is a loyal listener of the show also a friend of ours cat shout out to cat uh got us for christmas each a book from this particular series and so what we've decided and these are non-fiction books about the sex lives of kings and queens so mine is called sex with the queen and what was yours renee uh, sex with Kings. Sex with Kings and Sex with Queens. So this week on the show, we are going to be talking about, my book was like 400 pages or 300 some odd pages. Um, was yours about the same? Um, 300 just, something? Just under 300 by like a whisper. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Because yeah, there's also like a ton of endnotes. So yeah, it's about 300 pages um, ab- written by Eleanor Herman. <laughs> um, and... It it was uh they were journeys. Um, do you wanna do you have your copy in front of you, Renee? Sure do, buddy. Do you wanna read people uh do you wanna read her um Eleanor's biography? The back of the book there, there's a picture the- of a woman, a white blonde woman <laughs> with a mm-hmm. tiara mm-hmm. and a little my- description. Yeah, I've got like full medieval or like Baroque period uh royal garb on mine. Oh yeah, mine is giving medieval times. That's what. Yeah. That's my point of reference. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing: is that my about the author is like five pages. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's that. Then there's the little blurby at the back here. <clears throat> I'll read it out to you. Yeah, please. Eleanor Herman is named after Eleanor of. Aquitaine? Is that what it is? Aquitaine? That's what I want to say, because I'm French. Her grandmother, 28 times removed, and is related to most of the royal families of Europe. She's also the author of the New York Times bestseller, Sex with Kings, aka your book. So your book was the first one. Then it was mine. Formerly the North American associate publisher for NATO's Nations and Partners for Peace magazine, she's an accomplished lecturer and TV and radio broadcast commentator on royal issues. She lives in McLean, Virginia. So why this bitch <laughs> is wearing a whole fucking medieval times ensemble, like queen of the fucking round table bullshit. I will not. I couldn't tell you. Oh, <sighs> I can tell you. I can tell you. <laughs> She's it pretentious here- as fuck. Here we go. <laughs> I, I'll read from her. Meet the author that she wrote about herself. So <clears throat> she's Virginian. 
Okay. She's from Virginia. Okay. Yes, I'll yes, never yes. forget the summer <laughs> night in 1972 when I fidgeted with the rabbit ears of my black and white television in my bedroom. I came across the PBS miniseries, The Six Wives of Henry VIII. I was riveted. The people, the clothes they wore, the rooms they lived in, and the court intrigues all seemed strangely familiar. It was as if I had just remembered that I remembered them. I didn't know it at the time. Indeed, I just found out last year that I'm a direct descendant of Sir Edward Neville, beheaded on Tower Hill in 1538 by Henry VIII for daring to oppose the disillusion of the monasteries. A strange coincidence. So basically, uh, reincarnation, maybe like somehow she inherited this is epigenetics, Julie. This this is just now a show about epigenetics. <laughs> okay, so we just want to start by saying we both hated these books, not yeah. because the stories weren't juicy. Like all the reviews of my book are, for example, right on the cover it says "A Guilty Pleasure About Guilty Pleasures." Mine says um, sexy, dishy, and funny. Yeah, this is mine. Says Herman bears all the hot and heavy details about the lewd lives of royal lovers. Addictively good dish. Herman's writing sparkles. Look, were there lots of juicy stories in this? Sure, sure, sure. Um, but we're gonna start with what we enjoyed, or maybe some things that we learned, and then we're gonna get into why I literally at one point threw this book across the room. <laughs> um, <laughs> so just top of mind, Renee, did you learn yeah. anything interesting? Was there anything that you found surprising? Like, so my book was not what, like what I expected at all. Um, it was it was about mistresses. It was about the, the politics of mistresses and, um, you know, what they gained and what they lost. And it really focused on like a handful of, you know, kind of uh, very prominent mistresses. Like I could Google them and find their portraits and stuff. Um, so I learned a lot about that and kind of how really it was like being a mistress was like a fight for survival and all that. And that was like the lengths they went to were insane. Um, it was really like a Royal housewives of like medieval times situation. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I sure I learned things, but as somebody who like hoards, you know, tidbits and, and useless information. So I can be like, did you know that frog likes, you know, um, I don't, I'm not, the only thing that I'm going to remember from this book, I'm going to share with you in a little bit because it was like rad, like this is fucking cool. Um, but here's the thing, Julie, I could not read it. I couldn't read this book because it was so, um, like just textbooky to me, um, mm. that sent me back to like a pre stimulant day. And I was like, I can't do it. <laughs> So here's how I had to read this book. I had to go onto archive.org, which I, I frequent often. Um, and then I had to get the disabled version of this book so it could be read to me by an AI voice. Um, oh and it also read like, like the punctuation. Oh so boy. For some reason, every time there was a dash, my AI would say carrot. So the whole time I'm reading, it would be like, Henry the Eighth, carrot, and like just go on. 
Um, and that's how and I, I made it halfway through the book and I was like enough. And then I just kind of like sped read the end, the rest of it just kind of because it was the same. It was the same people over and over and over and over again. Like the same mistresses like really she has no knowledge beyond I'm going to say Poland, Spain, England, obviously in France. Like th- there's not even anything about Italy in here. Like it's like that's that's her scope in my book. So um nothing i didn't learn anything memorable is the bottom line well i didn't realize that your book was mostly if not exclusively about mistresses and so i will say for folks who are listening mistresses a history of the other woman by elizabeth abbott is fucking incredible it's very hard to find now you probably could find it on amazon as much as they suck Oh, you can um, probably but, find it on um, archive.org. <laughs> or archive.org. Um, it is worth getting. I know they have it at multiple public libraries. It is so fascinating because it does trace. It focuses strictly on mistresses, but not just in the context of royals. And so it goes from, you know, like prehistoric times, basically, all the way to like mobster wives and like oh. mobster mistresses and like how a bunch of mobster mistresses ended up getting like huge inheritances when they're like partners died and like how often mistresses would like be welcomed into the family afterwards like it's so well written it's so interesting so if you're listening to this and you're bummed that renee's book was womp womp because you are actually interested in the subject matter i'm telling you mistresses a history of the other woman by elizabeth abbott delicioso that's awesome you know my book might have been might have been more interesting if the author didn't make it very clear that like she she just didn't love the content she was writing about and the people. So, um, what yeah, did you we'll learn come about your book? Back and we'll to come back. that, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. we have. I think we have. I can sense we have the same critique. So yeah. I did learn my book. Your book, I think you said covers five hundred years. I think you were saying that to me before we started recording. That's right. Um, mine covers nine hundred years. So like girls covering a lot of territory. And I will say, unlike yours, like mine does talk about. Um, lots of stuff about like Russia and Germany and Austria. Mm -hmm. And so there was definitely um, a lot going on. She covered a lot of ground. And I have no doubt based solely on the end notes that like she done did a lot of research. Oh, hundred percent. So the things that I found interesting were less about individual stories and more just sort of the context of being a queen or a princess. So for women, uh, and this book ends with Princess Diana. So it's kind of like well, going from... Too. Oh my God. Okay. These well, books my, were sorry. Written. Mine ended on Camilla. Let's be real. Fair. Uh, yeah. Good point. Um, but both of these books were written in the early 2000s. So like, you know, there's not going to be anything about Meghan Markle. There's not going to be anything about Prince Harry. Like they were still BBs when these books came out, um, to her credit. But uh, yeah, just like very interesting things around how, you know, just how when you were a queen or a queen consort um, or a princess, like you had zero privacy, zero privacy. And you also generally had very little power. So in order to have a lover in your life that was like literally accessible to you, a lot of them were then made politicians, prime ministers, strategic advisors, Uh, military generals just so that you basically had an excuse to keep this dude around which makes complete sense 
but it just had never occurred to me before. Whereas like as a man, if you were the king and you had a mistress, it was like an open secret. Like people knew who she was and it was not a big deal. Um, versus with women, it was like, obviously you cannot be having an affair. And so you're like, okay, well, I also can't be alone with anyone ever. So how can I da 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 So I was like, oh, that's worthy. So then of course I'm thinking, fuck, we need a book from the perspective of the other man because like we love to talk about how mistresses are just like conniving, but I'm like, these dudes were also opportunistic as fuck. Like all I got to do is totally. lay some pipe for the queen and all of a sudden I can be prime minister or I could be a general in the military. Like, but she does not get into that. And... <laughs> <clears throat> it's because she hates women. Um, also, <laughs> because princesses and queens and queen consorts are never fucking alone, ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you basically had to have a lady in waiting as your accomplice. And so yeah. your lady in waiting would be literally waiting outside the door for you to like bang harangue. And then she would, you know, gun to her head. She would be like, no, no, no I was with her all night. Like nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, all you hear is like, ka, ka. And the, the, <laughs> the queen's like, quick, behind the curtains. <laughs> the, the... <laughs> like, Thank you, Isabel. You <laughs> saved my life once again. Oh, I can never repay can, you. In the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, fair, cool, but also like, what's in it for the lady in waiting? Like, I'm sure she gets more luxurious lifestyle because she's loyal oh, to you, but like, I can tell me- you because of yeah. my mistress book. Yes. What was it? So, ladies in waiting got to enter court right in a different manner and be like close to the queen, so they they had the queen's ear, and then um, usually when they rose, you know, if they were like lady in waiting, like the number the number one to the queen right um they the would off the hype <laughs> that's me i'm i'm the lady waiting uh waiting my whole time life um, <laughs> no um they would often be married off to like nobility because they weren't tip they weren't always coming from nobility themselves oftentimes they uh became mistresses Right. And they had no mm. choice in the matter. Like the king would be like, mm, that one. And the queen mm. could be like, no, Henry, please. And he'd be like, mm, bangerang. And then, you know, become the, and, the, and then the mistress would still be a lady in waiting. And then sometimes also the kings would have like force their queens to take on one of their mistresses as a lady in waiting. Oh, that, oh I mean, see? that tracks. I learned stuff. I did. Yeah, no, and that tracks, right? Because, like, as a man, you're like, well, i got to have her around, so I'll just have her do that. And then also, like, if she's nice to my wife. Just, like, the complexity of this whole thing. Um, So, yeah, lady-in-waitings basically were imperative to being able to have a lover. Um, But the, um, like, what is truly the actual origin of slut-shaming in so many ways is, like, Maury Povich did not exist back then (laughs) and so if you were fucking around and you gave birth to a kid and it was an heir to the throne but it was actually a bastard child then that like created some conflict and Mm -hmm. so in the interest of geopolitical stability (laughs) um this was also why women were so surveilled when they were princesses queens or queens consort because it was like not only is it shameful for your husband if you're caught with a lover, but also like if you have a fucking baby with this dude, it's going to fuck everything up. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, because of the importance of heirs, it also added another dynam- dimension to like the secrecy around affairs and having to be like very strategic. Um, a couple of the things that I found really interesting was like how 
like so much of the especially in like the you know 19 the early 900 years like of that trajectory that she shows us like these women were living in shit conditions like people yeah. think in myself even before i started reading this they thought you know you're living in a castle or whatever but oftentimes they were like dilapidated there were fucking shit tons of like vermin and they were drafty and they were shitty and because 99% of marriages were marriages of convenience to either like bridge peace between different nations or to whatever, like transfer of land. These were like sight unseen. Like you were just marrying some rando that you were told to marry. He might not even fucking like you. He might be 80 years old. He might be fucking gross. And he might also be real fucking mad that he has to marry you because he's actually in love with somebody else or he's gay. Like there's so many of the, the ones that was like, it was so clear this dude was gay. He was not interested. So then they would punish the wives by being like, yeah, I married you because I had to, but like, I'm putting you up in a drafty fucking tower up in a turret and like suck it up buttercup. And like, who is she going to complain to? She had no contact with other people other than people who worked for her who would be like, bitch, be grateful. You have a fucking roof over your head. So like that was really interesting to me because, again, I had just hadn't thought of it before. But it makes complete sense that like to the peasants of the world, you're like living off the high horse. But like if you're a woman, especially if you're queen consort or a princess, like the only money you have is money that the dude decides to give you if he gives you any food at all. And so there was like multiple stories where like the king was like basically trying to humiliate his wife by like making her wear like threadbare clothes and like yeah. not doing anything about. Yeah. And then one dude in particular, and again, I can't remember who it was now. Um, he not only married his wife wear like threadbare clothes and would like bring her to the opera and shit. And people would like openly laugh at her. And then his fucking mistress would stroll in wearing like brand new crushed velour, fucking diamonds a tiara so he would like rub it in her face that it was like you can't leave me because we're married and i have all the power but also like i could treat you nicer if i wanted to but i don't want to that's just can i just it's really yeah. interesting that you say that because i know uh, like i had the same story in my book but it was from you know how it how it related to the mistress and in all my stories where a queen was being humiliated or um, whatever. It was like either at the behest of the mistress or, um, or it was like the mistress, like just like kind of subtly manipulated the King into loving her more. And, you know, they would have them like sign contracts saying that they would like divorce their wives, which obviously they wouldn't. Um, and it just made it seem like mistresses were really bad people. <laughs> and But like, but it's funny because the mistresses were also put in drafty towers because yeah. the, the kings would have secret passages, like secret doors in their chambers to go to the mistress. And so oftentimes they would end up in like a drafty turret. But that in France, mistresses were given like proper titles and treated they were basically royalty so the mistresses were involved in like politics and like madame de pompadour basically fought in like whatever the seven year war or whatever it was um like she she actively fought in it like she, like imagine literally where the word pompadour comes from and for like big hair you Love know it. and and um 
so other kingdoms tried to like emulate that because france was like peak like style i guess but they just like couldn't cut it so all of the mistresses in england were like not having a great time and were not treated well so kind of like what you're describing with the queen being humiliated like in some kingdoms it was fashionable to have a mistress so they did sometimes they didn't even really want one but then sometimes they didn't treat them well other times they treated them very well better than queens so um, it sounds like our books are very very similar (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely because there, I mean, there's just, there's overlap, right? Like you can't talk mm-hmm. about the sex lives of royalty without talking about all angles of like king, queen, mistresses, fucking side salads, like <laughs> all of that shit. And yeah, like knowing, I mean, still I'm like, eat the rich. And you know, these people believe that they were like, that their blood is literally makes them divine and all this shit, like fuck them forever. Yeah. But you know, they're still fucking people. And like some of these marriages, like these girls were like 14 mm-hmm. and being married off. And then the other two pieces that again, made complete sense to me, but you know, having it, seeing it spelled out like that, um, is that one. So like sometimes their conditions were garbage, um, that obviously got better as time went on. So like by the time you're at like Marie Antoinette, like obviously like she's living high on the hog. Um, but also just like, because travel, especially, you know, in like the 1500s was Mm. so difficult and so treacherous. You had nobody like you were not going home to see family. Family was not coming to see you. And because there was constantly fear of espionage and possibilities of blackmail, even when women would bring their own ladies in waiting, AKA like their childhood BFF or someone they actually trusted who spoke the same fucking language as them. Yeah. They would be sometimes invited and then eventually pushed out. Um, because the idea was like, Oh, they're getting too close or like, Oh, they're speaking their language, which means they must be plotting against us. And so, yeah, like these, a woman, was traveling from Copenhagen to like London, didn't even speak the fucking language. She had to leave everyone behind. And that's it. Like you're 14. You never see your family ever again. You never get word from them. You never see your friends again. So that also makes you susceptible to like a fucking terrible life, but also to like a lot of abuse because you're like, literally no one will believe me because there's no one here to witness it other than like the King's minions. Yeah. Which brings me to another thing that, (laughs) made sense to me but blew my mind anyway was how so many of the royals and people who lived that like basically the legit bourgeoisie died more often of illness than peasants and do you know why because they were dirty no because they actually had medical intervention and the medical intervention was cuckoo fucking bananas. And so oh. if you were a peasant, you couldn't afford medical care. So you would just eat a lot of soup, rest <laughs> up, hydrate and get back out there because that's all you you couldn't afford a doctor. You couldn't afford medicine. So you'd maybe have like some herbs that like some local, let's be honest, witch would like concoct for you that it was like or like an indigenous person had passed along teachings in your community so you had kind of these like quote-unquote like old wives tales of things that would help cure you but a lot of it was just rest and hydration and someone would bring you soup and someone would bring you tea and you would just sleep it off and then you would feel better doctors 
back in that day, like professional doctors who were qualified, quote unquote, to be able to work with royalty, their whole thing was like bleeding people out. So like the amount of fucking people in my book who died because they got sick with something and the doctor was like, yeah, just slit her wrists. And they'd be like, oh shit, she done died. Like it was just like, oh yeah. Or they were like, throw some leeches on this bitch. But like I knew there was cuckoo bananas medical practices, but it was, I hadn't thought about that dichotomy of like how it's like how back in the day, like back in those same days, like rich people actually had terrible teeth compared to poor people because rich people ate like sugary bullshit. Mm-hmm. And poor people were eating like fruits and vegetables and potatoes and like and they had obviously their own issues from like lack of nutrients depending on the context but like historically accurate like period dramas need to show rich people with fucking ugly ass teeth because like they didn't they were eating sugary processed bullshit and didn't care because they were like oh i am divine i will never rot and then you're like oh god my teeth are falling out of my head um but it was just person after person after person that was like oh yeah she was bled out or like she was fed like arsenic or something and they were like oh no that'll help like just like whack-a-doodle shit oh yeah i had one i had one mistress who um had given birth to like i don't know like six kids to the king like bastards at this point and this one for whatever reason they couldn't stop the bleeding and the king was like Ew, gross. And sent her to a convent to bleed out <laughs> out of his sight. And those nuns did nothing. Because, like, what Just are they going to do? <laughs> let a bitch bleed out with other bitches? Like, oh, yeah. my word. And again, I mean, my book kind of hinted at it, but I'm sure in your book it was sort of more overt. But a lot of times it was shit like that. It was like, oh, this is convenient. I don't like her anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just slit her wrist and tell her it's for her health. And, like, what's she going to do? I'm the king. And also you're illiterate or you don't even speak the fucking language or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like th- that stuff I found really interesting, which wasn't, which was, I guess, kind of less about their actual sex lives. Although, you know, so there were different things that I knew, but that were interesting about how, you know, like a lady in waiting, if they moved to a new castle, they went to a new place. Like she would start like doing some recon of like, oh, there's a back hallway. There's a tunnel. So she would like try to find a path for her lover to be able to come to her. Um, and in some of the cases it was clear that it was just, I'm bored and I'm lonely and I'm really isolated and you're there. So like, Mm -hmm. let's go to pound town. Other times it was, I'm genuinely in love with this person because again, I'm 14 or 15 or even, you know, 18 and I'm marrying some rando that I don't know who might be way older than me or just like not interested in having sex. Like some of them, they were like, their man was clearly gay like not interested in her at all and she's like bitch i got needs like what the fuck you know so she would like and then some of them you know some of these men were described as like the most beautiful man in the village and you're like yeah get yours bitch get yours like you're living in a rat infested fucking turret like get (laughs) dick down when you can i just um i just remembered why why your book is 900 years and mine is 500 years yes okay so because um because having a mistress was at one time considered like kind of scandalous according to the church mm-hmm. mistresses didn't gain power and like prominence until the invention of the printing press because then they would print about the lives of royals and then they they became more like 
prominent in society and like the knowledge of the people because um, of the free press. So because that wasn't around 900 years ago, but like there's records of Queens and stuff. That's probably why, but yeah, that's, that's why um, it's only 500 years because we didn't really know anything about them. That is so interesting. Yeah. This bitch did her research. Like she absolutely did her research, but that's a the point you just made is an excellent segue because even when women are able to document stories, it doesn't mean they're fucking sisters. Okay. This woman <laughs> hates women. It's the only explanation I have for the, her tone throughout this book. Yes. Um, Eleanor Herman is either a prude who's never had sex or she's just like, the worst like she just doesn't believe in shine theory because there are two things Mm -hmm. there are two r words one she used excessively and one she didn't use at all when she should have so i don't know about you renee but like i'm just gonna say it the word retarded was in this (gasps) book multiple times oh my god and it was written in like 2007 so like we're not talking text from like even the 80s or 90s this was written in 2006 it is unacceptable to use that term at all but she was literally referring to so some of the kings in particular were like what we would describe today as like being um like intellectually disabled because of inbreeding yeah so there was one in particular where this guy had like a bunch of physical disabilities he had intellectual disabilities he could like barely read um and it was literally because that community had been so inbred that he was disabled and instead of just saying that she literally used the r word to describe him multiple times for multiple people and i just like it was jarring like i couldn't believe that a book that was published in 2006 and like like yours, like it has a little thing at the end of like, oh, insights, interviews, and mores with the author. Like these are not, this is not a piddly ass self-published thing. Like this is Harper Collins published this book in 2006. I couldn't believe it. And the other R word that she should have used a thousand times, but did not was rape. Like the amount of times that she talked about sex yes. when it wasn't sex, it was clearly mm-hmm. violence made me so upset. <laughs> like, oh yeah. You had the same had- thing? Well, I had it one instance and I, I don't know. Okay. I told you this before the show that I had to like listen to it on a thing. Right. But, um, so I, I rewound it because I was like, what did they just say? And it was describing how this young girl, this like young youth, um, you know, her family was trying to use her to become a mistress to a King so that, you know, their family could gain power and everything. And it was like this king was known for like just being like a sex craze maniac. And um, so he just like he raped her. But in the book, it says that like it might have been rape. That's what it says. Did she, like, use, did she use the word rape? Yeah. She's like, okay, basically, I'm she, shocked, she didn't use it. No, here's the thing, though. She includes like the passage of like, like describing it based on like the records of like journals and stuff. And then she says, like, that I think it was, like, a person considered it rape. Or, like, this body of of people said it might have been rape. So it's, like, not even her words. It's just the words that were coming from 
other accounts of the incident. So, but that was the only time. And they're like, there was a, there's a story about a mistress who had come with her lady in waiting and how the king grabbed her like behind from behind a curtain and then his like buddy was like no no you have the wrong one and then he would he like opened the curtain to let her out and he shoves her out and then he's like oh it's too late because he fucked her like jesus and i think it was either the first time he was meeting like a betrothed or it was like a mistress and her person i don't remember the context but like basically um there was that so i just want to come back to the ugly piece though i'll put a pin in that continue (laughs) oh no i just my point is it like i went into this actually excited like genuinely excited to read this book because i love i don't know a lot about like royal stuff and period stuff but like i do find that stuff interesting i love the i'm not into military history i'm not even to like into super into like political history but i do love like history like of people like sociologically like how people lived and like the dynamics and like Mm -hmm. what gender roles look like like that stuff that deeply fascinates me i have two degrees in women's studies like i love that shit so i was stoked like i really went into this stoked and like she clearly well researched like it's very clearly well researched but i could not get past how much this woman hates other women and Mm -hmm. had just like such a disdain for the way women were slash are and i thought okay maybe it's like a snark that i'm just not picking up on and it's a bit more tongue-in-cheek and then we got to the princess diana part (laughs) and i just have to read you a couple sentences can i read you a couple sentences sure just so that you can get a sense of basically her entire part on princess diana is princess diana was a dumb bitch who um you know her man cheated on her sure but he was in love with camilla princess diana was just fucking anyone and everyone and therefore she was just like a whore and like i just i was shooketh so i'm gonna read you two little sentences two little parts that i just was like oh we're just wow okay The Princess of Wales transformed herself from a shy, pudgy teenager into a sleek, mean, and angry woman wielding newspapers as a deadly weapon. The Avenging Fury ripped moldering skeletons out of stuffy royal closets and gleefully exposed their grisly decay for all the world to see. Indeed, Queen Mother Elizabeth viewed Diana as the greatest danger to the British monarchy since the adulterous Wallace Warfield Simpson stole King Edward VIII in 1936. So you're like... (laughs) Already, you're talking about how she's real dumb. And then, here we go. So now we've moved on to um, Princess Diana's just had a legion of lovers. The amount of times that Eleanor Herman wants you to know that three of them were Muslim is tremendous. Yeah, so, like, very thinly veiled Islamophobia. Um, And basically argues that Princess Diana was an unhinged person. And I'm trying to find the... Oh, where's the actual word that she's... Okay, here we go. But within days of losing Hasnat Khan, 
Diana finally found a man who could devote 24 hours a day to making her feel loved. Another Muslim who mm-hmm. would help her embarrass the stodgy Church of England royal family. A man with no job, a playboy living the life of a prince. He had much in common with Diana. Both suffered from borderline personality disorder. <laughs> How the fuck do you know that? They, she was not diagnosed with that. You're just going to fucking armchair that shit? Eleanor, so yeah, both suffered from borderline personality disorder. They teetered precariously on the edge of life, even as their periodic brilliance won them the admiration of many. Both were narcissistic, volatile, and self-destructive. The name of her new lover was Dodie Fayed. And then she straight up says that Diana chose not to have security anymore because they were interfering interfering with her ability to just fuck around. And that's why she died. She says she makes a fucking link of like, well, if she'd had her bodyguards with her, she wouldn't have died in that car accident. So like literally like she has absolutely fucking nothing nice to say about Diana. And it's just shocking to read it in that black and white of like, yeah, her husband fucking humiliated her. She also literally like, flat out spells out that the reason why the queen and the royal family wanted diana to marry charles is because she was dumb and naive and a virgin and therefore she would be easy to manipulate and at no point does eleanor frame that as horrifying which is what it is (laughs) like you literally see like a was like 17 18 years old and you're like ah she's pliable but somehow she's the bad guy in all this like calls her stupid so many times like insinuates that she was she was like yeah she didn't even finish high school she was dumb she was a narcissist she was a bully and like literally says she had borderline personality disorder and so did Dodie Uh. Alphayette and I'm like you don't know that you do not know that I was that's the part where I was like oh my god then um there's also a part where uh she argues that Charles loved Camilla because Camilla was smart and Diana was a dum-dum. And so if she just wasn't a dum-dum, her man would have stayed with her. And this, like, part... Oh my god, it was so upsetting. Where she's making fun of Diana for having horrific bulimia. And basically being like, this dumb bitch had a eating disorder. Like, are you kidding me? And then insinuates... That at some rumor has it that Charles told people that he didn't like sleeping with Diana because her breath smelled like vomit because she was throwing up all the time. And I'm like, are we really like, that's really what we think? Like, really, really? That like Charles would have been a super, super loyal and devout and loving husband if Diana didn't smell like vomit. I'm like, first of all, I highly fucking doubt this woman's walking around smelling like vomit, but like, then help her. Like, oh my god right yeah. is that horrifying i yeah. was horrified like there was so much overt misogyny in this book but the end piece with diana it was just so black and white i'm like okay you can't even argue that like the rumor mill or you know because some of these stories were from the 1500s so like you're truly yeah. going on like very old text and like you said very little was written by women so we don't actually know there's a lot of insinuation but like there is so much known about princess diana there's no reason to be that way <laughs> like oh my god i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe it and i i'm assuming the same vibe was in your book 
Yeah, so my book finished like yours on Diana and Charles, but like with the focus on Camilla. But I was, I didn't, until you said it, Julie, I didn't know she was from Virginia. I thought she was British and because mine read like a tabloid and mm-hmm. like, like it felt very British and um, you could tell she was very team Camilla, but not team Wallace. Like, so she drags Wallace and she mm-hmm. explains that like, was it Edward? He's like, yeah, Edward. Yeah. Yeah. And she never said the R word, but she definitely described him as like dumb as a sack of nails. Right. And um, that like all these people, Diana included, were just manipulative and, you know, but Camilla was like, Camilla actually, according to this book, pushed Diana onto Charles because she saw, she's so smart, that Diana was the right person to marry him because of all of her, like, vulnerable qualities. And, you know, because Camilla's so smart. And um, then (laughs) after whenever like they explain like how you know the laws got changed a little bit and then you know charles went on to marry camilla that like you know yeah she she was a little you know frumpy looking you know but um you know a a team of stylists came in and taught her everything she's knowing now she's so glamorous and she's so tasteful in the way she dresses and she's and you're like diana was perfect in every way like oh my god like Truly, like you yeah. cannot be that beloved by the gays if you're fucking like we love a messy bitch. Don't get me wrong, but like yeah. you can't even insinuate. Diana was like literally a style icon. Yeah, like she was the epitome of class. Like get the fuck out of here with this fucking Princess Diana slander again. Like you said, like anytime I read anything about like Camilla is amazing. Like you, I'm like, oh, is this written by the Daily Mail? Like, yeah. it's it has such a tinge. It's so clearly British paparazzi bullshit because it's just no one else talks that way except for monarchists and sleazy British tabloids. And yeah. as someone who read Spare by Prince Harry and like where he unpacks how Camilla is very, very media savvy and has been pulling the strings behind the scenes for a long time. He was just, cause he says like, objectively, there's no reason why the media should be no, so nice to this woman. She's not attractive. She was divorced. She had an affair. She was clearly like breaking up a family. She's like mean to people. How the fuck is she so beloved by the media? And yet my mom was hated by the media, but loved by the people. So it's like, clearly Camilla's doing something because like she's got zero redeeming qualities and the media never says shit about her. And that's why, and that's the path that Eleanor is on with her books. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I I probably won't read anything else by her. Man, like there's so much to unpack in these books. Like the, the worst, like my book, she focused so much. The word she used in my book repetitively was uh, frigid. The worst oh. thing you could be was frigid. Frigid. And it was like, these people were fucking filthy and stinky and like just didn't want to fuck all the time. And like, yeah. they're frigid. So she was just constantly, you know, relating back to these mistresses and how they had they had to be smart. If they weren't smart, then the kings wouldn't have no interest in them. They only wanted smart women to entertain them. 
And that if they were frigid, like some of the more like she really focused on Madame Pompadour quite a bit. Um, <laughs> so I know, I know everything about this bitch now, but like um, she um, she was considered frigid by Eleanor. And so she had to be like super involved in entertaining the king insofar as like she basically mistressed and hustled through like multiple illnesses and basically like took one for the team and like were it not for like madame de pompadour just fucking doing it for the girls doing it for the team you know we wouldn't have mistresses the way that we did today she's an icon and i'm like yeah not for those reasons in my opinion based on the other things that you wrote but okay and yeah it was it was just like so do you mean that like her talking about their frigidity as in like if you didn't want your husband to run off on you then you should have put out more is that what you mean like is that that the tone in some cases with the kings yeah it was like she had become frigid so he lost interest but then it always Mm -hmm. it always doubled back to like but she was so smart like she was just so fucking smart and then like how all of the mistresses like the really good ones were just like incredibly petty and like um vindictive and just constantly trying to plot behind the backs and so every now and then there'd be like an ugly woman who would come by and you know know the fucking game and work the king so that you know they went into her into his favor but like she just stressed it like how fucking ugly they were and how like the pretty mistresses couldn't handle that and they were like would have temper tantrums she said that a lot that they have temper tantrums like oh yes diana had so many temper tantrums yes so and like a lot of the mistresses when they didn't get their way um had temper tantrums and i just want to on the on the topic of temper tantrums there was one mistress that um she was a madame de montespan Montespan? I don't know. Anyway, um, and this is in the 1600s. But I was like barely listening to my AI read to me um, <laughs> until this part came up and I was like, what the fuck did I just hear? So I, I, I'm going to just read you. This is an account from, I guess, like the daughter of some noble person who like observed this. Um, and then they're like, I don't know if this is true. And then they go follow it up. So I'm just going to read you like a little, a little bit. Okay. Okay. So she described black masses in the early years, 1666 to 1668 to win the King's favor held in abandoned chapels and officiated over by the defra- um, over by the defrocked Abbe de Guiborg, the Holy Chalice held in Sorry, Holy Chalice held on Madame de Montespan's groin. At one of Madame de Montespan's masses, I saw my mother bring in an infant, obviously premature, and place it in a basin over which Guiborg slid its throat, draining the blood into the chalice, where he consecrated the blood and the wafer, speaking the names of Madame de Montespan and the king. The body of the infant was incinerated in the garden oven and the entrails were taken the next day by my mother for distillation uh, along with the blood and the consecrated host, all of which was then poured into a glass vial, which Madame de Montespan came by later to pick up and take away. At another black mass, according to the the Lavoisin girl, Madame de Montespan called on demons 
called on the demons of hell to assist her. Hail Ashtaroth, hail Asmodeus, princes of friendship, she reportedly chanted. I conjure you to accept the sacrifice of this child in return for favors asked of you, that I should have and keep the love of the king, that the queen should become barren, that the king should leave her, be- leave her bed and board, uh, and board and come to mine, that he should grant whatever I ask of him for me and mine, that I should be included in the councils of the king and party to all state business. And it goes on like that. Um, and I was like, did this bitch do black magic to win the favor of the king? And it goes on throughout the different parts of the book that like she was, in fact, giving him potions from a local witch. And that he, when he like purportedly when he stopped getting the potions was when he fell out of love with her. But then I was like. This can't be fucking real because this is during like witch witch hunt <laughs> years, right? But in but in like England or whatever. Okay, but then it says that given the reports of baby's bones in the Lavoisin garden, the police started digging. They uncovered the remains of twenty five hundred infants aborted, stillborn, premature, and those who had been sacrificed alive. We didn't have medical examiners back then. And I suspect that because this like local witch performed abortions, that that could be a lot of what's there. But in the way that she's reporting it, it was like, no, there were straight up black masses at the 1600s. Um, <laughs> and it was only within, you know, like royal circles. And we know it's true because there were thousands of babies' bodies found on the grounds. I was like, who reported this? How do you know this? Like, it's not a butterbox baby situation. I was like, <laughs> you know, but I was just like, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, what? I was like, okay, why? It got my attention. I was like, yeah, I'll take a black mass any day of the week. But <laughs> I was like, I have to go back. So I like pulled out the physical book and then like I'm trying to rewind my fucking robot reading to me. And I was like, what is what? Um, yeah, it. I was, I I don't even know what to make of that. Like on the one hand, I'm like, it's fucking cool if it's true. Yeah, you're like cool if true. But like 1600s during like like witch hunt years, like come on, come on, come on, can't be real. But she wrote it like it actually happened. Like at no point was it like this was purported by. It was like this is what happened. And I was like, what? Um, she also used the word transvestite, and I didn't love that. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. And again, I mean, your book was written a little bit before mine, but still, yeah, like, sure. still too recent to be dropping the R word and saying transvestite. Like, get it together, Eleanor. Do you think get that, like, together. if she had a more modern book, let's say, like, Post Me Too, do you think that the writing would be different? No, I think it would be even more aggressive. I think she would be. I think she would double down on it to be like, I know it's like edgelord type shit. Like, I feel right. like it would just turn into like, I know we're not supposed to say this in polite company anymore, but look, I'm just going to say it. I'm going to say it like it needs to be said, you know, like, cause I don't yeah. know. That's the, that's the energy I get from her is just like very self-righteous about it. Um, and again, it's a bummer because it is really interesting, like information. Like there was a whole, there was one of the stories where it was like they were polyamorous, basically, and they called each other like the, the Trinity. And I'm like, a triad? 
and it was like the queen her man and like her lover and like her lover got a role in politics and like he had a bunch of side chicks and they basically had like a very um like a very formal arrangement that was actually quite respectful in the sense of like we fuck just so that i can give you a baby but like you do your thing i'll do my thing and i'm like oh that's really interesting and i'm like basically polyamory in like the 1600s and like um there was a whole thing about napoleon and like you know i love a short king and like how um the like the woman who was betrothed to him basically was like ah fuck not this goddamn shorty like she just was so like (laughs) but he's so short and gross um and i thought that was very funny because i was like again contemporary conversations around men's height um you know like triads and polyamory um also like Anne boleyn did many horrible things to lots of people um but adultery was not one of them and yet an accusation of adultery is what eventually got her killed and so she's like you know of all of the there's actually zero evidence that Anne boleyn was ever unfaithful to her husband and yet like that was her undoing um and in large part it's because she actually wasn't that attractive so she had like really small tits and like kind of had a plain face but she was really charming and so she was like the life of every party and that made people jealous. And so they were just like looking for a reason to get rid of her basically. Um, and so you're like, Oh, interesting. Here's 600 or like was 900 years of women actually having affairs. Um, and then this woman didn't. And they were like, well, you might as well have, cause you're going to die anyway. <laughs> and I think that was one of the surprising things was like, I'm like, is she just omitting the people who, had freaky sex lives like with their spouses because like your book was basically all mistresses and my book was also about like queens who were cheating but i'm like you i mean maybe it's because i just like my knowledge of like medieval times is from watching like game of thrones or something (laughs) but like you fucking know that they were having orgies like there's no way these things were not happening or like so much of kink shit is born from that time. Yeah. Like dungeons and like torture devices that were actually used in like kinky shit. So like I was hoping for that level of. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like so-and-so was married and they all fucked their lady in waiting together and they had a grand old time. Like there were no, like was like, I think one of the women, it was insinuated that she might've been a lesbian but like there was no queer content in my book other than like oh yeah she fucked around because her husband was obviously gay did you have gay yeah. kings in yours i had just the transvestite king who um would dress up in women's clothing and earrings and stuff and he only took a mistress because it was the fashionable thing to do and it was good for like your your politics as a king to have a mistress um but he thought that she was really ugly and then would make fun of her and then when they were together he would like forcefully um like put makeup on her that she would wipe off or like he would take her clothes and stuff and so she wrote this guy as like uh like this like the scary gays that right-wing people hate like that they make up and think are really scary that's almost how she wrote this this king oh love that for us (laughs) yeah um when it's like maybe maybe he was shitty to this person like but it's not because he was gay 
and that's what she focused on was like was like the the like how his queerness was the offensive part to his mistress not his behavior you know what i mean absolutely and like there's room to talk about i think like how homophobia and repression can make you a nasty person like Mm -hmm. i think there's room to have that conversation and that historically some people who seemed very awful were actually just miserable because they couldn't be their full selves whether it was like transitioning whether it was being queer whether it was asexual and like i just don't want to have sex i mean some of the but that's not that's not what Eleanor is doing, you know? No. And no. there was hints of it. Like in my book, there were some where it was like very, like there was one guy, one King who like they, she was like, could have been that he was gay, but like the general vibe just seemed to be that he was like very asexual and just like repulsed by the idea of having sex, like just very grossed out by it. Mm-hmm. And then like, so the marriage was not consummated for years and then eventually people got on him to be like, dude, you need an heir. And so they like full on turkey basted. <laughs> like he got <laughs> the doctor to jerk him off. And then they just like used a medieval equivalent of a turkey baster to like impregnate his wife. Like because he just was so repulsed by the idea of sex. Uh, and so again, and then there was one where it was like, oh, he was gay. And then, yeah, like he was evil. And it's like, okay, he could have been just like gay people can just be dicks but also like (laughs) if you are like i can't imagine what it must have been like to be queer in like the 15th fucking century (laughs) like that seems unbelievable especially if you're a monarch so like but again that's not a story that eleanor can tell because she doesn't have that fucking analysis because she clearly is super heteronormative and thinks but i also don't know what she thinks the ideal woman is then is it just like a chaste queen because then she kind of made it seem like those ones were boring. Yeah. I don't, I honestly don't know because like the ones in my book that she described as like power hungry or frigid, it didn't matter. It was like, sometimes they were nasty. Those are the words she used. They were nasty women. And I was like, okay. So it was like, it was very unclear who she was rooting for with the exception of Camilla Purples. <laughs> like, yes, okay. I'm so glad because that's literally my book. Uh, the whole time I was like, the only person you seem to be like rooting for is Camilla. <laughs> I want to be your fucking tampon bowls. Like, and this was before she became the queen consort. Like this is when she was strictly a side chick. Because, like, she wrote these books in the early 2000s. Yeah. Like, and also, like, Diana had been dead for less than a decade. And this woman is fucking snatching her wig. Like, I don't understand. (laughs) She's reading Diana for filth. And she literally had been dead for less than a decade. Like, it's truly shocking. Like, it's shocking to read now. But, like... Diana died in 97. Our books were written in 2000 and yours was like 2003. Mine was 2006. Like bitch pump the brakes. (laughs) Like Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. And like, I I'm only, I only feel free to say this because my mother died less than a year ago. (laughs) Take it, take it for that. (laughs) Um, her whole, uh, like her whole, like about author thing that she wrote 
mm-hmm. is basically about how it took her mother dying at the kitchen table for her to like smarten up and like write. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to read what she wrote, which is why I think she doesn't write fiction. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it says, as I reverently hailed the cup, I realized the Grim Reaper comes unheralded. None of us know the time of his arrival, and yet we live as if we had forever. We put off most of our precious dreams. We are in no hurry. Suddenly, I was in a hurry to finish sex with kings. Though prostrate with grief for four months after losing my mother, I redoubled my efforts as soon as the worst pain was gone. I worked feverishly as if death were right behind me, his cold breath on the back of my neck. Take me when you want, I cried, fingers tapping away at the keyboard, after I get this book published. Um, she She did the whole thing because of her mom. So I'm wondering, do you think her mom looks like Camilla? oh is her mom yeah that's a great there's got to be something there's got to be something that makes it or i'm I'm just gonna go back to that ani defranco quote like a true feminist what a great note for us to end on (laughs) of like um lord help you if you are an ugly girl of course too pretty is also a sin because everyone harbors a secret hatred for the prettiest girl in the room um that's not true. Nobody hates me. <laughs> but like that's to me, mm-hmm. that's all it boils down to is mm-hmm. like Princess Diana was like y'all thought she was a dumb dumb and you recruited her because you thought she's a simple little virginal bimbo that we can ply and do whatever and then she was smarter than you thought she was. She's mm-hmm. gorgeous and people liked her. And so if you are not those things, you're going to be like that bitch. Because again, (laughs) there's nothing that Diana did that Chucky didn't do first. And Eleanor even acknowledges that. She's like, yeah, Yeah. like he cheated first and like was clearly in love with Camilla and not with her. But she smelled like barf. And you're like, what the fuck? Like this poor woman. And again, the fucking body was fucking still warm. Like it was like... Jeez. And then, yeah, that for me, the, the part where I literally closed the book and I chucked it across the room was when she was like, and if, you know, she wasn't such a tramp, she wouldn't have needed to cancel her security and then she would have lived. And I'm like, it was a professional driver that was driving the car she was in. And at no point are you like, the paparazzi are responsible for chasing her down the tunnel, but okay, cool, Eleanor. Yo, Love the only thing you. she blames the paparazzi on in my book is Tampax Gate. Oh, interesting. That's the See, only thing. Mine goes into in depth about how like, oh, Diana gave this interview where she said there were three people in my marriage. It was very crowded, but it was all like nothing about how Diana was tricked into that interview. And I don't, to Eleanor's credit, I don't know if that information had yet come to light when this book was published. So you know saying that out loud now i'm like okay maybe timeline wise we didn't know that to be true but like it was very much princess diana was pulling the strings manipulating the public manipulating the media that basically the royal family hated her for a reason it was justified um and that like charles by the end was just like embarrassed to be associated with her because she was fraternizing with muslims like it- oh my god oh my god it's almost like our books 
were a collective love letter to Camilla Parker. Oh my God. It should have been dedicated to fucking Camilla P because like there was not, there was no love and she had no love for anybody else. Like truly from going from like 18 something to 1997, she couldn't find a single fucking thing to say nicely about anyone. Yep. Even the ones who were like, yeah, we're all into it together. The husband's cool with it. I'm cool with it. We just do what we do. Like that to me is a, is a happy story, you know? Nope. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like if she didn't have a part in there that was like a love letter to Catherine the Great and all her like power and sluttiness, then I don't, I don't know if your book was really dedicated to women at all. (laughs) Truly. Absolutely. It was still, it felt like it still centered the men like this book was literally about it's in the title sex with the queen and it was still about like the most important thing always was the men and like whatever behavior women engaged with it was like 100 percent the responsibility and for men there was like a gajillion excuses for the shit that they were doing so mine was like down (laughs) mine was basically just like almost like forgiving these awful kings yes like like the whole book at no point was it like they were terrible and deserved what they got it was like just apologetic and almost like they were just dumb innocent bystanders like it's really not their fault it's it's all the power of these nasty women you know until camilla it should have been called like boys will be boys and bitches be crazy like that's what you should have called these books because that was (laughs) The vibe was like, oh, man, with their wayward penises and these <laughs> conniving fucking bitches. Like, Taking advantage of their yeah. inability to control their urges. Yeah. And instead, it's like what I love about, um, like I said, that book around mistresses and what I love about reading about nuns is similar in that I'm just so fascinated by how women have survived. Yes. Like, the things that women have done to survive. And that could include not giving two shits about Jesus, but joining the convent because it means you never have to marry a man and you can be your own person. Or I come from a lowly family. I will never be able to marry a royal or move up to the bourgeoisie, but like I could seduce a king and be his fucking side piece. And that will give me proximity to power. Like that stuff is so juicy and interesting to me. And so like, if you can't get me on a book about that, it's cause your book is bad because I am your audience for those <laughs> stories. And I just feel like she left so much meat on the bone for these stories. And she covered a lot of territory and she did her research, but like her analysis was la poubelle. And so, uh, thumbs down for our books. Um, I, I'm glad we like had this a, conversation, but she gets like a wavy thumbs down, thumb to the side for me, only because of those two pages about witchcraft. Um, <laughs> I like that did get catch my interest, and I did read the passage for that. Um, I thought was was great. Um, can I? Yeah, just, I want to share one more thing from the book that I I underlined because I thought it was so funny, and then I wrote LOL next to it. <laughs> Absolutely. All I was going to say was what I enjoyed from the book was actually the introduction and the prologue, which gave that historical context around, you know, they're living in a vermin infested tower and they don't Mm. have any friends and like they might not even speak the language and they might just be be bleeding out by a doctor like that stuff I found really so that that's why I started the book like, yes, 
Like yeah. the first part of the book, I was like fucking stoked. And then she just let me down by being a terrible ally to other women. But yes, tell us what a perfect note to end on. Tell us the LOL of your book. Oh, it's okay. So it's, it's the son of Charles, the, I guess seventh. Okay. Uh, the son's name is Louis and he's mad at the mistress. So one day in 1444, Louis running to Agnes cried by our Lord's passion. This woman is the cause of all our misfortune and punched her in the face. What? Yeah. He was just <laughs> mad at the mistress and he's just like, fuck you. And I was like, huh? Hilarious. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, Eleanor Herman has written a book called Sex with Presidents. Mm-hmm. I'm. Uh, oh I'm on God. the fence. Can you imagine how she describes Marilyn and? Oh, a hundred percent. I was just about to say. We now just know <laughs> that. Just take Princess Diana and replace her with fucking Marilyn Monroe. That's where that's going. Um, I might still read it. I have it. I might still read it because I am ultimately interested in the in the subject matter, and maybe this preamble and prologue will give me some really interesting stuff. But. A very big disappointment um, in both books because you had such rich material and you squandered it by being a misogynistic, basic bitch slut shamer. Um, So I'm so glad we took this little detour because it is interesting to think about what this, you know, in the context of our podcast. But next week, we are going back to our roots and we're going to each read a romance. And what is our theme for next week, Renee? Oh, it's Disabled Julie. We're looking at disability next week. So either disabled authors, disabled protagonists, storylines about disabled folks. Um, Disability is our theme for next week. Now, like so many of our other weeks, like queer stuff that we did around Pride, um, we do not limit ourselves to just this particular week for that theme. We have read books by disabled authors before and disabled um, characters. But next week, we are going to be reading dedicated to the lens of disability. We'll be back to regular scheduled content (laughs) here on Ravage Love. Thank you for joining us on this. Uh, I feel like I know it's the wrong metaphor or like the wrong visual, but I thought of us this week as (laughs) Wishbone and his little Sherlock costume. You know, the Wishbone dog? Like it was like asking like... We're going to go down a historical path. Uh, And then we're back. We're back. So disability (laughs) next week here on Ravage Love. Thank you as always for listening to us and our um, just our shenanigans. I'm just grateful that people are on this journey with us. Oh, me too. Yeah, that's that's the business. That's the Uh, business. Do you want to sing us out? Does this do these books? get the ravage love feel <laughs> the books don't deserve it but our listeners do <clears throat> ravage love ravage love bye bye artwork for the show is created by Karen McKnight very special thanks to Josh Shenfield for production assistance you can find Josh on Instagram at fushigiyami That's F-U-S-H-I-G-I-Y-A-M-I on Instagram. 
Connect with us at Ravage Love on Instagram and Twitter or by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com.